Welcome to the School of Purpose podcast. In each episode, we explore purpose in life, what it is, how it affects people, and most of all, how to have more of it. My name is Bradley Wright, and I'm a professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut, where I study purpose and well-being. Thank you for listening. Welcome to another episode of the School of Purpose podcast. Today's guest is Julia Winston. Now, it actually is a little hard to get this interview going because we got into such a good conversation before we started. Uh, So I'm actually glad that I'm I'm remembering to do the intro and making it official. She's a a very engaging person. She is a executive coach. She is a facilitator and a podcast host. And she's an experienced designer. Now, the experienced design that she does is, and these are her words, to guide leaders to bring visions to life and people together in meaningful ways through executive coaching, experience design, and facilitation, resulting in a deeper sense of individual and collective clarity, alignment, and purpose in the workplace and beyond. Doesn't that sound great? Don't you want to talk to somebody who does that? Well, thankfully, we get to today. I wanted to have her on this show because I'm very interested in the idea of experience design. I live in a world where we convey information, but that's different than designing experiences. And I used to think they were the same thing, but now I'm starting to think, oh, experience design may be the more interesting, more powerful skill, or at least they complement each other well. So in addition to learning about her work and helping people find purpose, alignment, and clarity, I want to explore also the, what does it mean to, to design experiences? So welcome to the show, Julia, and thank you so much for uh, joining us. Thank you, Bradley. It's a pleasure to be here. So to start off with, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, so I guess uh, I guess the place to start is where I come from. And I come from Austin, Texas, which is where I'm sitting right now. And my, I guess, you know, the the story of how I came to be and do who and who I am and what I do, a lot of it starts in theater. I was pretty shy as a kid and uh, I was pretty sensitive. I had a lot of a, a really creative uh, inner world with lots of feelings and didn't really express it all the time or know how to express it. And my parents put me in theater uh, at the suggestion of a therapist. And, uh, and I went to theater and it really opened up my whole world. And I think a lot of what I learned in the theater, I can tie it back to why I'm interested in a lot of the things I'm interested in today. There's a lot there about dynamics interpersonal dynamics and collective dynamics between people, um, creating context and what's happening and a lot of listening on different levels. So uh, a lot of what I gained through theater and connecting with other people and collaborating, creating stories and experiences on the stage, a lot of that, I didn't realize it obviously when I was growing up, but when I look back, I can see how influential that was for me now because we're all creating stories together all the time. So when you think about at work, for example, we're all here for a specific shared purpose, right? We have a set of shared goals and something that we're trying to accomplish, some some service or product that we're trying to offer to the world, and we're doing that together. And so each day, each month, each quarter, each year is an opportunity for us to create that story together. And uh, so through my experiences in the workplace, I think I started naturally just bringing in a lot of the skills that I gained from theater and recognizing how those could translate to creating a more meaningful experience in day-to-day life at work. 
So there's a lot more underneath that, but I'll just start there. Wonderful. Okay, stories. Well, well, first of all, theater. I would have done well going to theater when I was a kid. That would have been really helpful. As you talk about it, sort of unleashing the inner creativity. I went to one theater class in college, and I was so freaked out by it. I can come back, and I realized, oh, it opened up like in stuff inside of me that I just wasn't ready to engage at all. So kudos to your parents. Okay, stories. You go to a workplace or you work with people and you're casting things as stories. What's the advantage of that versus goals? Why not say, I'm going to come in, I'm going to help you realize your goals, I'm going to help you you know, identify goals and, and meet them. Why do you talk in terms of stories? Oof. Well, you think about that. I'll, I'll tell you why I asked that. It seems powerful that you do that and it feels that you're tapping something that just simply goals wouldn't. But yet goals are the languages of businesses and, you know, usually when people have a, kind of a, an achievement or a, an end product in mind. But your stories, I, I really like that. So what are some of the advantages you see of, of talking about stories? I think humans experience life through stories. Goals are part of our story, but the bigger picture is that we are all living a story. I mean, you think about, I think a lot about life as chapters. Like, you know, this is a current, this is a chapter of my life. When I look back on my life, I can see that there were certain chapters and it creates meaning to think about my life in the context of a story that I'm constantly living into. Each day is the turning of a new page. And humans, since the dawn of time, as far as we know, uh, have understood themselves and each other through stories and through storytelling. That's how we've gained our context and understanding of who we are as a species. And some people are thinking about this more consciously. And some people maybe subconsciously, but I think it's very much part of the human experience to be living our stories. And this is how we make sense of the world. This is how we understand whether something is pleasant or unpleasant. It's what is the story that we're living right now? What's the story we just experienced? Where are we going? Our goal, even a goal is a story. If we do this, then we're going to feel this way, or then we're going to be proud, or then we're going to have accomplished something and we're going to be better, right? It's all stories. Oh, interesting. So you're not saying stories and goals are two separate things. You're saying goals can be part of a story. And as yes. you talked, I, I started thinking about how this might play out. And it seems like a story would embed not only a goal, but also a motivation and a context and a connection. So you could have so much together. You know, like the parables from the classic wisdom literature will tell you so much in just a little story about who did what and why. So I, I can see how this approach would be very powerful for you. Um, what are some of the ways that you've seen this sort of intentional story creation work in people's lives? What are some of the, uh, you know, whether it be a specific example or whether it be a, a process that you see on a regular basis of people sort of converting their lives into stories, as you put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two things come up for me. One of them is just like a glimpse inside my process and going back to theater and what I learned from it and how I see that playing out now. And the other is an example of what I see happening in the world, especially in the workplace. So I'll start with the, with, um, the first point. When I was in college and I was studying theater as my major, one of the most powerful exercises that we did that was life-changing for me, and I didn't even know how much so at the time, was that in a particular scene that we were rehearsing, 
Each of us needed to go back and go through the entire script and write down the intention of every single line. So each line, whether it came from the character that you were playing or the other people were playing, we had to write down what we perceived to be the intention of that character in saying this line or in taking this action. Even if it was something simple like hanging their coat on the hook and then turning back to face the other character, like what's their intention? And it was a really powerful exercise because it invited me to examine on a deeper level, what is it that people are actually trying to do or say in every single moment? What is the bigger motivation that they have in this in this instance and in this story? Because you could turn to someone and say no, and you could say it in so many different ways, infinite ways, really, and that stems from the intention. And so the, the way that that translates into what I see now when I work with companies, for example, is that every line, that so everything that every person says or every action that each individual or team takes is intention. There's an intention behind it, whether they're conscious or unconscious of that intention. And I think that when we read between the lines, when we when we examine more deeply or we contemplate, what is the intention behind this thing that we're doing or saying? There's actually a lot of information there that we can use to our advantage. So back to your question, we can use that. And this doesn't, I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm talking about understanding. I'm talking about empathy. I'm talking about truth. What is it that's really happening here? What is it that this person or this team is really experiencing right now? And how can we look at that as a way to help us progress and evolve and achieve our goals and have more fulfillment and be seen and understood, right? So I think there's a lot of information and wisdom in, in contemplating intentionality behind every action or, um, or conversation. So that's one story. When I look at, at this, in, this storytelling in terms of how I'm seeing it, things play out, in the companies that I work for, for example, I think about working with leaders and talking to them about their goals. What is the goal for the organization? What's the mission, right? Why do we even have vision, mission, and values? The reason that we have these things is to help everyone get motivated behind taking action each day. So the actions we take every day actually plug into a bigger picture. And that's what the story is. The story is the bigger picture. It's, it's you know, going back to this podcast. It's our purpose. It's like, why are we even here anyways? What is it that we're here to do? If there's no story around that, then there's no motivation. I love the exercise that you did in theater of recast everything in terms of intentions. Because otherwise, I, we just focus on what people's actions are. And we think that there are perception of their action is their intention. We, we confuse the two. And yet people can have very different intentions for a given action, as you said, with, you know, the word saying the word no, that'd be a, a really interesting exercise to do throughout the day. Just why is this person doing this? Why is this person doing it? And it links into purpose as you connected, because purpose is all about why. Two people can do two things. And one, it can be, you know, narcissistic manipulation. The other can be beautifully spirited purpose, even if it's the same action because of the motivation. And intention is such a big part of motivation. Wonderful. So is it possible then to sort of recast our own lives in terms of stories and think, basically, what is the story I'm writing with my life, in my life? Is that is that a constructive way to think about this? I think so. Absolutely. I, I this, is a, this is a practice that I have in my life. And I think there's a really beautiful dance that can sometimes be frustrating and sometimes be just wonderful 
which is this dance between intentional and visionary and shaping and molding things and driving things, and then emergence and organic and letting things flow. And I think that you can over-index on one or the other. I think it's easy to lose your way if you get too caught up in the story. If you attach too much to the story, then I think we don't leave space for what's true. We don't leave space for magic or for synchronicity, some of the really beautiful things that can come through when we're open. So I think there's a, a nice balance to strike here in identifying a story in your mind of what you might like, you know, what you might desire or what you might think is a positive contribution to the world, whether that's through your own personal path, your life, your week, your, you know, your job, whatever it might be. I think there's an, a fine balance between identifying that and then letting it go. So I, I almost like to think of it as I'm holding up my fist right now. And like, you know, I hold this story in my hand and then I open my palms and I let it rest there. So I'm holding it, but I'm holding it lightly because there's so many other factors in the world that could contribute to what manifests. But if we don't have any kind of story in mind uh, or purpose, right, identified, then it's a little bit chaotic and there isn't really a compass or any kind of guiding light to keep us grounded. So for me personally, I love to both have a story in mind, uh, whether that's a desire of some kind or a goal or um, or a mission, and then the the holding it lightly and allowing all of the other factors that are at play in the world that don't involve you to take root. Because at the end of the day, I think a story is only a story. It, it's, it shouldn't be confused with a sense of control. Now we're getting into, you know, it's more philosophical, like, you know, free will versus, um, versus, you know, an agency versus, you know, predestined. But I, I think that's my approach anyways. And I like to bring that into the work that I do as well. And just thinking about here's our intention. Here's the story that we want to co-create, but now we have to open that up and let it be influenced by what's happening around us. So you distinguish between being intentional and being reactive, um, and you gave some, some really uh, great synonyms for both of them, and you sort of loaded the stories onto the intentional side. Can we also put the stories on the reactive side of, like, my story is, you know, boy walks down street, and this amazing thing that he didn't have, uh, didn't expect happened to him, or something like that. Could you so sort of external like shocks to the system um, yeah. or events? Would that fit with this? Absolutely. I mean, I think we're all meaning making machines also, right? So whatever's happening out in the world, like we, we're going to make meaning out of it. This is how our brains work. And this goes back to why I think stories are so powerful. It's just the way humans understand the world around us is we, we create stories. So I think that it's going to happen no matter what. But the most important thing is to recognize that is the story that I have about this in this particular moment. You can create a story or it can happen. And then you can look and see, oh, that's the story that I'm telling myself right now about this. Or, oh, this is the story we are telling ourselves about the purpose that we're all here to serve in the world. So the, the importance of recognizing our storytelling as a function of meaning making is uh, is important and we can we can bring that in and it can be a friend to us on our journeys or it can be something that governs us uh, blindly. So I think we have we have a say in that and it, it all boils down to awareness. What's our awareness of the storytelling that we're doing at any given time? And that's a critical point because my, from my perspective, a story will be told 
there will be a story for everything that happens in our lives. The question is, who's telling it? And is it the one we want? And so as you talk about this, I'm thinking in terms of the power here being not necessarily in the story, but in the intentional story, that we're sort of taking control of what story is going through our mind, because there will be a story anyway. So, you know, if, if I'm walking down the hallway at work and somebody walks by me and doesn't say hi, I will tell myself a story about that. The question is, am I doing it intentionally? Is it, is it helpful for me? Is it the one I want? And, and, and so forth. So I love sort of the uh, intentionality um, that you bring to storytelling. Okay, so let's, um, let's get into the how you do this, the process. You, you got into it a little bit already. How do you help people to tell stories about their lives or their organizations? Now, if it were, if it were me doing it, I would just, I, you know, maybe give them a piece of paper and say, here, tell a story about your life. But I assume you have a more sophisticated, effective approach than that. Well, I think our brains are our, our brains need uh, process, right? We need frameworks to understand things. This is why we make up stere- you know we have stereotypes and we have categories, right? We love personality assessments, these types of things that help us categorize and organize really complex, overwhelming amounts of information. So I think that tools are incredibly useful, tools and frameworks. And I have different sets of tools and frameworks for each service that I provide. So it's, you know, coaching has its own set of tools. And I've I've been really fortunate to learn tools from all kinds of experts. So in the case of coaching, I was certified at the Coactive Training Institute, which is called CTI. And they have an unbelievable toolkit uh, of coaching tools. And that a lot of that is about storytelling. It's it's helping. Uh, individuals identify their values, their core values, their des- their dreams and desires, their hopes and dreams, their fears, their saboteurs, which is a word for you know another way of saying your inner critic. So there are all these different tools within the coaching world that I can use as a coach to help individuals identify the stories that they may be telling themselves about themselves or and about their uh, their situation or to shape what they want it to be, right? To reframe things. So to get unstuck when it comes to experience design, which is something that, you know, we wanted to dig into, I have learned an incredible set of tools and frameworks from the scaling intimacy school of experience design. And this is where uh, I I facilitate. And also I have learned from Jenny Sauerklein, who is the founder of this body of work there. I think that experience design is a burgeoning, it's a blossoming field and it's kind of wild west right now. And so there's not a whole lot of frameworks that are, or, um, yeah, a lot of frameworks or tools out there that we can all sort of get behind as a group to have a shared language. But I love the scaling intimacy framework. And interestingly enough, it's really based on storytelling. So the key framework in with scaling intimacy is called the dramatic arc template. And the dramatic arc is basically, I mean, you take theater, you take storytelling, and uh, if you know the the sort of the traditional storytelling framework, it's like a you know it's like a triangle or it's like a, an inverted triangle. It's like a mountain that goes up in peaks and then it goes down. So in the beginning, there's like you know you set the scene and it's kind of the the way of the world right now, and then there's an inciting incident, and that sets off some kind of change, and then things continue to change as you escalate up the mountain, and then the peak of the mountain is the climax, right? In in a story, it's sort of the climax of a story. In the dramatic arc template for experience design, we call it the pinnacle. And this is when some transformation occurs. And then the downslope from that pinnacle is the integration. 
it's the resolution. What has changed in the, in the worlds that we've been examining as a result of this pinnacle and of all this transformation? And how does it make way for a new reality to set in? So what Jenny has done through her work is she sort of overlaid this dramatic arc template onto an experience. So how that would be used in a really concrete way is I would sit down with a team or a leader of a team and say, okay, you want to have a conference for your community, for your employees, let's say, and that it's going to be one day long. So when we start, what are we starting with, right? What are, what are the things that we're starting with? And as we escalate up the mountain, what are some of the ways that we want to begin priming people for transformation? It starts by identifying what is the primary shift or the transformation that we want to occur. And so we've identified that. And then we can actually design a set of activities that escalate towards an intentionally identified pinnacle, an activity or an experience that everybody can do together that we have intentionally thought about in advance. Like we want this experience or this activity that they do to lead to this kind of transformation. And then we can design the activities on the downslope after they've had that moment together. And it's usually something that involves a lot of connection, connection between people, because that's how we get inspired. And then the downslope is how do we bring that in and fold it into our new understanding? A lot of times it might involve a commitment or a takeaway. And then we can look back on this experience on this day and say, wow, here's how we transformed over the course of this day. And usually, you know, people will end up feeling more connected to themselves and each other, leading to a greater sense of overall purpose for what brought us together in the first place. So that was sort of high level, but also gave you maybe a little glimpse into how I approach experience design. What fascinates me about what you're doing is that as you did with stories, with experiences, you're taking something that's very intuitive, that is already happening. People, when they get together, there will be some experience but you're being intentional. What do you want the experience to be? And then you reverse engineer how to get there. Exactly. Reverse engineer is the right word. And even the process of designing the experience is an experience for the team that's designing it. So I will design on the back end, you know, let's say I'm taking a team of three people through a process to design the experience that they want to offer for their people. I will think about how can I lead this group through an experience that involves a pinnacle in order to achieve the design. So I'm always thinking about design from the highest level. And I usually like to let people in also and ask them as we're going along what they're learning and what they're experiencing, because when they can experience that framework themselves, then we have a shared language and a way that we can design together the experience we want to offer to their people. So it's it feels a little bit like a gift that is sort of exponentially shines out to involve people. And then everyone's part of the joke. It's like, okay, we, we all see what we just did together. So there's a magic to it, but it's really an inclusive kind of magic. So you're doing with the people, with your clients, what you're teaching them to do for others. Right. And hopefully wow. they can take that skill set and they can apply it moving forward. So my goal is not necessarily to retain clients. It's to empower them and equip them with tools that they can use moving forward. And oftentimes they will go on to feel empowered and they, there's something they can replicate and they'll still, you know, they'll come back and call on me every now and then maybe then to facilitate that experience so that they can be inside of the design they've created and not having to guide it, that, that I could be that person to guide them through it, to facilitate, to MC the experience that's happening. So I like to empower clients 
to walk away with skills that they can replicate and that they can carry forward themselves. And then I like to just kind of be this benevolent figure off to the side that they can call on if it would be useful for me to come in. And that, that frees me up to continue my, on my way and, you know, encountering other magical people who, who I can support in some way and who I can be enriched by. I love it. You're playing what three-dimensional chess here with uh, experiences. <laughs> Another thing I appreciate about this is the implied emotional element. So you talked about stories and theater. And, you know, of course, a big thing that that does is it doesn't just give us information. Oh, you know, somebody from this Italian family met somebody from that Italian family and the families don't get along and they got together anyway and then it worked out badly. Rather, you feel things. Oh, Romeo met Juliet. Oh, there's this beautiful moment. Oh, there's this tragic moment. Do you see an emotional, let's see, the the levels, the emotional levels of the group sort of track the arc that you're taking people on? Or is it just purely informational and procedural? Absolutely. Emotionality has so much to do with it. And that's another thing that goes back to stories. Why do people resonate with stories? Because it makes it takes us on an emotional journey. It takes us on a visceral journey. We feel things. We are, we are moved, right? If it stays in our heads, then there really isn't so much transformation. There's knowledge transfer. Transformation can only occur if we're fully engaged through all parts of our experience, our hearts, our bodies, our minds, our spirits. So there's there's a lot of the spiritual element that I may or may not name when we're going through the process, but absolutely, there's so much emotionality that's being invited. I would never force that on people, but we can create an environment and a set of conditions to allow space for emotions to come up and to create safety so that people know they can feel that they can be moved. And that's what is really important in my approach to facilitation. Am I creating the type of environment that people get the sense that they can feel that it's safe to feel here? And that's something that you, you can't really, you can design the scaffolding for that, but then the, the space that you create in the moment, I think that's where facilitation comes in. And that's how it plays so beautifully with the design. The design can open it up the possibility and the facilitation and the connection that takes place in the moment itself. That's what really enables the emotions to come through. Okay. So, so I want to get back to that point about the role of the facilitator, but I just want to make sort of a parenthetical comment. I have so many years of training and experience in creating facts. So that's what research as I've done it has been is creating facts. So I spent two years saying not conducting a nationwide experiment where I tested the effect of X on Y. And at the end, I could say this is the effect of X on Y with more certainty than anybody else in the country could. But it was a fact at the end of the day. And when I'd present it, I would periodically encounter people say, oh, yeah, well, my uncle Bob was having a terrible time. And then he had a different connection between X and Y. And I'd be like, well, I don't care about your uncle Bob. I mean, this is I'm giving you an accurate fact and you're giving me an inaccurate <laughs> fact. But their moving story would move people just as much as my, you know, two years worth of, you know, randomized controlled trial. And it just made me want to pull out my hair. And finally, I, at some point I realized, oh, I can't, I can't win this. We're hardwired for stories, experiences, and emotions. So what I'm trying to do is connect the best of both, is to have, you know, 
high-end research, but also kind of high-end engagement of the ideas from it. And so this is sort of my journey with it. So that mm. sort of takes us to facilitation. So as you've talked about it, you're getting conceptual tools and strategies and frameworks from these different programs you've worked with, including scaling intimacy, and then you apply them. But my sense is that it's not the kind of thing that everybody can do equally well, or it's not something that anyone could do, or that, that the facilitator matters. What are the ways that you bring sort of effectiveness or vitality to the process above and beyond the concepts and the frameworks? Mm. One, the first thing that comes to mind is setting the stage. And I think this is actually, there is process uh, to it. There is, there is a methodology to it. In the very beginning, the way that we set up the, the space is so important. So one tool that I love to use is guidelines. And this is another teaching from the scaling intimacy. Uh, we, we really strongly believe in, in guidelines. So one of, if you, if you think about the escalation up that dramatic arc framework, the first stop, the first rung on the ladder up that mountain is really welcoming people. And so the way that you welcome people means everything. What are you welcoming? Are you acknowledging them? Are you introducing yourself as the facilitator in a way where people know you're accessible, that you're listening to them, right? So the welcome and then the guidelines are, how do we want to experience this together? What are the norms or agreements that we're making right now about the culture that we want to create, the universe that we're stepping into? So that doesn't have to just be entirely emergent, sort of like a, a culture, of, a, of an organization, we can actually have a top-down, bottom-up approach to that. Top-down being, here, let me make some suggestions for you about how you can show up here and operate within the space that we're all entering together. And it gives people a sense of guidance and security. So for example, if I am facilitating an online retreat and I tell everyone up front, make, take care of yourself. If you need to step away from your computer at any time for any reason, please take care of yourself. That's going to create a different atmosphere or a different set of expectations than if I say, we, we expect everyone to please keep your camera on at all times. We'll give you breaks every hour, right? So these little things, we, we set norms up front to let people know what they can expect about this experience that they're about to have and how they can participate in it or contribute to it in a way that we've all agreed upon. And they can kind of decide in that moment, do I like this? Is this some, a, a world I want to step into? Or is this a world that I feel resistant to? So the way that we set that up is critical. And then once we set up those conditions and those norms and expectations, we're going to have a way easier time scaling that mountain because everyone has the gear, the equipment that they need. That makes sense. Now, I was actually laughing, trying not to laugh too loudly when you said that, because I'm the one who says, keep your cameras on, darn it. Uh, and then I'm like, I'm going to, you know, that's, that's on my to-do list this afternoon is to revisit that. Uh, <laughs> revisit well, that I will say that one is not better than the other. I use those two examples, but I think that in a different context, one could be more optimal than the other. Okay. Right. So it's just a decision. It's a design decision that you make. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I use both. I mean, I really, I think that certain, certain environments call for certain guidelines and that that's going to make it a more effective space. So it's just something to consider. It's a strategic, it's the chess. It's like, how do you want to play this? And sometimes you also might want to invite people to contribute and say, what are some guidelines that you would want to see in order to have the best experience? Oh, okay. And then other times, maybe you as the facilitator, just put it out there and then you leave it. 
So that's another approach is how open to input do I want to be in co-creating the norms that we're that we're setting here versus, you know, how much do I want to just set the terms myself? Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so as we've been talking about it so far, we've been talking about stories, experience, emotions, culture. These could be applied to a lot of different things. So this could be applied simply to making more money for your organization uh, or effectiveness. How do, but, but you work with purpose and clarity. How do these map on to purpose? So why is this approach to finding purpose effective in ways that maybe other approaches aren't? Or what are some of the ways that you see it connecting people with purpose? I think that often the pinnacle of any experience that I'm designing has to do with purpose. It's either it's either recentering people around a purpose they've already identified or it's helping them identify the purpose. And a specific example is that I often work with companies to help them design and then facilitate quarterly offsites for their teams. And the purpose of these offsites is to reinvigorate people around their mission, their vision and their values and their goals. So the, the pinnacle will often be some kind of experience that emotionally reconnects people to why they're doing this work to begin with. And that can happen in a multitude of ways, infinite ways, but it may be an activity of sorts where there is maybe storytelling, where we're hearing stories from different employees across the organization about how in the last quarter they felt that their work made a difference in the world. And then you have a breakout group where everyone gets to talk about an experience they had. And there's some kind of transformative shift where people are reminded of why they're there and why it matters to them and the impact that they're having on the world. That's a that's an example. It, it can take so many different forms, but purpose is always sort of lurking beneath the surface. And in these kinds of experiences that are intentionally designed, we actually we actually open up so that it's not lurking, but it can come out in broad daylight and we can all look at it together. So I'm seeing how your background in theater is so important here, because as I understand acting, and this is based on all of one lesson uh, that I ran away from so quickly uh, in college, um, the goal of the uh, actress um, is to create a certain way of thinking and a certain way of feeling in the audience. So if I go see a movie and I come away not having felt anything or not even having really engaged that world, it's a bad movie. But if I'm still feeling something and thinking stuff the next day or two, then it is a good movie. And that's what you're doing here is that you're intentionally, I, we keep on coming back to that word intentional, of you're intentionally connecting, you're, you're guiding people in what they're thinking and feeling in part to reconnect them to what matters most and then that, that has implications for both them and then the group that they're in. Does, does that does that seem to fit with what you do? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's just about bringing people back to having an illuminate. I think it's about inviting people to have an illuminating moment where they're either reminded of what matters to them or they're growing somehow consciously. And Innate in all of this is interpretation, right? We can all have a shared experience, but we're all going to have our own individual um, set of insights around around that experience. But hopefully, we're all growing, even though it's it's manifesting differently in each individual. Hopefully, we're all growing together. And I do think that's what happens when we experience art, when we watch a movie, as you said, or when we go see a play. 
And uh, I think what I love about facilitation and why I chose to do this instead of to be an actor was that in acting, I was I was playing a different part. And I think it's a really cool art. I love it. But for me, what I love is to just be myself inviting people to grow and open up, right? It's not about being someone else. It's about being ourselves. It's about being ourselves in the world and opening up what's possible from this reality, from tr- from what's true. Art is highly interpretive. These types of experiences are too, but they're they're all sort of grounded in the context of who we actually are and what we are spending our time doing. So it's kind of concrete in that way. We're not having the roundabout, you know, the metaphors that come with with watching a, a movie. We we and or reading a book. Our brains sort of take what were the stories that we're reading and then we apply them to our own lives. And in these experiences, this is the application of our lives. It is our lives. And we're looking at uh, how we can actually grow, transform, and evolve from what's happening right here and now. It's a direct line. What fascinates me about what we've been talking about the whole time is that this seems to be an authentic and powerful way of helping other people to engage purpose in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. So there's lots of extra, there's, there's a lot of conceptual tools out there. You can Google purpose exercise and find dozens and dozens of them. But the way you bring it together in sort of the dramatic arc and the way you involve yourself as a facilitator seems very powerful. And that intrigues me that that's possible. So it makes me think that this is something that parents can do for children or teachers can do for students or bosses can do for employees or, or friends can do for each other. So there's, there's really a lot of kind of um, wide applicability here for what you do. And, and I can see why it's so powerful and so appreciated. Mm, thank you. It does feel that way. It it really does feel like um, it just feels like every every experience or event, whether it's a family dinner or uh, a group offsite for your team or an ongoing relationship, it can be approached with intentionality and it can be approached with a co-creative lens. At, at any given time, I think we all have the opportunity to do that for ourselves and each other. And I think that's what design is at the end of the day. It's, it is being intentional and proactive with any opportunity that we have to connect with ourselves, each other, or the world around us. And I love it because it, it, I find it very fulfilling and, and very purposeful in my life because it allows me to dance with the world, to always sort of be engaged and involved, which makes me feel like I belong. If I'm in there, if I'm in the mix and I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm engaging with people in what's happening here and now, that makes me feel so alive. And that gives me a great sense of purpose. Oh, interesting. So you're using sort of um, engagement vitality as an indicator of your own sense of purpose with this work. Absolutely. Okay. That's why I do it. This help, this work, it's as close as I can possibly get to the heartbeat of just life. I mean, to me, I'm someone who likes to squeeze the juice out of life. I want (laughs) to, I want to, you know, I want to ride those highs, those lows and be, you know, ride the waves and be fully in the mix to feel like I'm living a purposeful life and like I'm getting the most out of every moment and helping to guide people through their own experiences and be present with people in their moments of clarity, consciousness and, and choice and intentionality that to me that is the direct line that's that's how i that's how i find my purpose wonderful so 
the feelings that you have when you do this, the sense of being alive, the awareness, the almost flow state is um <clears throat> is almost like a compass for you or like a like a Geiger counter, except in a good way, not 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 a I'm gonna die of radiation way. As far as guiding you to purpose. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It it really is. I think to me the most important thing in the world is connection, is just feeling connected to each other, to the world that we're in, to ourselves. And that to me, to go through life having a sense of connection to oneself, to the people around us and the world around us, to me, that is the highest purpose. So this work is, I, I feel so lucky that I have found a way to access that in my daily life and to be compensated for it. And it's not something I take for granted. I feel appreciative every single day for this opportunity. Wonderful. So I wanted to have you on the show, Julia, to learn more about experience design. And I felt that what we got was kind of a larger narrative about approaching life, and that is with intentionality and also sort of a, a sense of create uh, creation. So intentional creation might be, you know, if we had to boil what you do down to two, just a couple words, might be a, a good candidate because you're intentionally creating a story, an arc in somebody, um, their emotions, a culture, and so forth. And in your own life, you're doing that with your own pur- sense of purpose. You're intentionally creating things that that give you a sense of purpose. Yes. I was just reminded of one of my favorite quotes. It's actually on my website. On my website, it's by George Bernard Shaw. And he said, life isn't about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And if we take that and we shine it outward, that's just a microcosm. The self is a microcosm for the world. So, you know, I think you could apply that to relationships and to impact and purpose in the work we do in the world, I think we all have the opportunity to create. And like I said, to hold it lightly, understanding that we don't have control, right? We we can be intentional, we can create, and then we let it go. And we let the world sort of alchemize with our creation. And that will lead to the whatever our experience is in life. Wonderful. How can people get a hold of you? How can people learn about the coaching that you do and uh, your podcast, the facilitator forum and so forth? The best way to get a hold of me is to go to my website, juliawinston.com. And there you can learn more about the services that I provide and just uh, read, you know, read more about me and my life and my work. Uh, and as you said, I also host a podcast called Facilitator Forum, where I interview facilitators of all different types. And so, yeah, I would say my website and the podcast are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk and uh, sharing your experience. Thank you so much for having me here, Bradley. I appreciate you and all the listeners out there. Great. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify. In addition, on Apple, you can leave us up to a five-star review. That would be a great way of supporting the show. If you have questions about finding more purpose in your own life, please don't hesitate to contact us. We'll point you toward resources and people who can help you. Thank you for listening.